You are listening to The Booked Podcast. This is Chuck Wendig, author of Blackbirds and Mockingbirds. You are duct taped to a chair with your eyelids peeled back. Please enjoy the ride. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be reviewing this week is That Ghoul Ava and the Queen of the Zombies by author T.W. Brown. A little bit about Mr. Brown before we get started talking about his book. T.W. Brown is tucked away in the Pacific Northwest with his border collie and a very supportive wife who let him walk away from the daily grind to pursue his dream of being a writer. His Zomblog and Dead Series, have both managed to sneak into the Amazon Horror bestsellers list. That's likely the last time you'll hear us refer to him as T.W., because to us around here, he's just good old Todd. So, uh, Our see, man Todd, our buddy. Yeah, I think that, um, I think he explained this to me before I read it somewhere. Todd is his, uh, his you know, regular publishing name, because it doesn't matter if he's confused with anybody else, you know, but um, T.W. is, when he writes something, it's T.W. Brown. Do you know where else he'll be T.W. Brown? Um, if I had to venture a guess as far as how important it is to us, I would guess the booked anthology. That is correct. Coming out in just a few short weeks. Few That's being, right. Few being one of those words like soon, where I don't have to really explain when that is, but it's coming. Yeah. It's coming soon. But for tonight, we don't have the book anthology to talk about, so we're going to talk about That Ghoul Ava and the Queen of the Zombies. I have in front of me a synopsis taken from Amazon.com. It goes a little something like this. Ava Birch killed herself and woke up a ghoul with an attitude and a hunger for the dead. With no manual and very little help coming from the supernatural community, Ava offers her services to the regional psychic. Her newest job? Apparently zombies have been spotted in a small town nearby. Ava wades in thinking that this job will be a piece of cake, or at least as tasty. Navigating meddling vampires, bothersome witches, and a peculiar case of memory loss, and now her best friend and human companion has up and walked out. Things go from bad to worse when Ava discovers that there is a force behind these recent zombie sightings that may date back to the time of the Black Plague. Sometimes a ghoul would rather just stay in bed, or at least your soundproof basement where nobody can hear you scream. That's a, an incredibly good synopsis that goes through a lot of the story, yeah. I agree. I mean, let's face it, I think from the title, that ghoul Ava, so you're not going to take this as a, as a very serious, um, you know, like scary horror novel. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that that uh, there's just enough there to really tell you what you're going to get out of it, um, and it's kind of a crazy little ride. Yeah, and thinking about it, um, who writes about ghouls? Nobody. That's what I'm saying. It's like Todd found uh, an an underused um, uh, horror trope. I guess. I guess. I, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, an underused monster to uh, to write yeah. about. But, I don't even know if anybody in, in like history has written much about ghouls. I mean, unless it's like relegated to very, very like hardcore horror monster writer kind of fans. Could be. Do you want to know what yeah. the definition of ghoul is? Of course I do. An evil spirit or phantom, especially one supposed to rob graves and feed on dead bodies. That's pretty accurate. That's yeah. pretty much what Ava does. Yep. The second definition is a person morbidly interested in death or disaster. No. So. Yeah. 
She's more of the first. She is a lot more of the first. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> oh, where to begin? So Todd um, has a very uh, important, I think, introduction to this in that he kind of warns people off that the, the humor is a little off color, um, kind of talks about, I don't want to say that he doesn't talk about being serious. I think he takes this book very seriously, but that it's not, um, that he didn't really, I got the feeling that he didn't really launch out to write something, you know, hardcore <laughs> literary, you know, that he had a little bit of fun with this one. And I think that, uh, I think that really shines through throughout the book. Yeah, for sure. It's obvious that, um, the, the tone of it is definitely more lighthearted than it is, uh, serious or literary and definitely, um, more funny than really scary mm-hmm. for sure. So, um, I think that that was probably a good choice. It's one of the better things about the book is that it has that kind of lighthearted approach to the subject that he, uh, that he's talking about a lot, like consuming dead human bodies. Yeah. See, I don't know who finds that scary anyway. I always think of it as kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing. That depends on if you're eating the tongue or not. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I see what you did there. Like, you like the tongue that? would be... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Yep. I got to tell you, <laughs> eating cadavers, only slightly less funny than necrophilia. That's right. So. And Josh Deach, somewhere in between. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so a little bit about the story. Um, we kind of pick up with uh, Ava and her human familiar is probably the right term, but kind of more of a sidekick um, who was, they were both part of a, apparently the short story that introduced Ava. So we have Ava, who's a ghoul. She has a teenage girl living with her, who's her sidekick. And Morgan, the regional, <laughs> I wrote in our notes, regional manager, because that's kind of how it seems. <laughs> um, regional manager of all the supernatural folks. She's a psychic who kind of controls the area in and around Portland, where Ava lives. Um, comes to Ava and asks her for um, a favor. Kind of gives her a job to do. Okay, so, um, yeah, Morgan uh, essentially more or less contracts Ava out for jobs and pays very, very well for them. So Ava, in her living life before becoming a ghoul, was accustomed to your minimum wage kind of server, waitress type jobs and is suddenly getting these, like, six-figure, seven-figure, big-time ghoul jobs from Morgan. So it's really, really difficult to, um, like, turn them down. Because it's just a new lifestyle and it's very, very good income. So it keeps her in that Corvette. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so uh, as it said in the synopsis, essentially there's a rumor going around that there's zombies in a small town just outside of Portland. And uh, Morgan gets Ava, kind of hires Ava or gives Ava the, the job of going to investigate it. And. Um, depending on what actually is going on, probably just take care of the, the little problem, the zombie outbreak, as it were. Yeah, and then that's where, where things get interesting. Uh, of course, um, the nice thing about picking up this being the first kind of like full-length, feature-length um, story is that we're learning about a lot of these monsters, these types of characters um, through Ava's eyes, because she doesn't know anything about them. She doesn't know what to expect when she's going to see a zombie. You know, are they going to be the Dawn of the Dead zombies? Or are they going to be something completely different? But um, we are kind of rooted in the fact that movies, and this is kind of one of the ways that Todd explains some of this stuff, that, that the movies that we're all familiar with are all kind of based on reality, but done 
in a way almost as to throw suspicion away from supernatural beings. So mm-hmm. am I saying that right? Does that make sense? What I just said? Yes. Yeah. So uh, we have that to, to work with, but yeah, basically Ava and uh, Lisa take off at, at Morgan's request and go to investigate zombies um, where they run into um, not, not just a zombie, but as the title implies the queen of zombies. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Um, and the nice thing about that is like, it's a different look at zombies in general because there's like almost like a controlling figure. Um, so we're not seeing the typical, like one zombie bit another zombie who then bit, you know, and then like the exponential growth from there. It's like, uh, Ava has to figure out, you know, well, you know, we, we know there's a queen of the zombies, so she's probably the one making them. How does that work? How do I stop that from happening? And all that goes along with it. So it's a little bit about the story. I don't know how much more. I mean, some of it may come out um, further into our review. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about Ava as a character. So she is our <clears throat> she is our narrator. It's done in first person. She explains that this is a book that's going to be published, or the book that you're reading has been published. It was written with a, a ghostwriter, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> which is an actual ghost. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a clever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Um, what we're getting is directly from her mouth. So we're not getting third person kind of literary anything. We're getting this kind of chick who in a lot of ways is stuck in her teen years as evidenced by the, uh, all of the eighties hair bands that, that she's listening to throughout the course of it. And she has a flashy Corvette, which is something everybody who grew up in the eighties wanted to have, you know, so we get this kind of almost frozen in time character, um, who's out trying to, to, to live out her teen fantasies. Um, but the problem is she's a ghoul, but she's a ghoul with money. So there is a, there is a little bit of a meeting there of fantasy versus, you know, reality because she's able to make these things happen. Yeah. And, um, actually like Livia's pointed out, since this is something that, um, it's written as if she had written the book, as if Ava herself had written the book, basically there's an element to the book where she's essentially talking to the reader uh, quite often throughout the book, it happens several times, and so, you know, she'll be explaining whatever it is she's talking about, and then she'll just kind of break and say, "Oh, I bet you thought this was going to happen, or I bet you mm-hmm. were thinking this, or we're going to get to that, that type of thing." So, there's definitely that breaking of the fourth wall when Ava is speaking directly to the reader, which was, um, I mean, I think it was kind of cool, and it happens pretty steadily throughout the book. I think at some points it probably was more necessary than others, or more, you know, you know. It fit better than others, but overall, I think it was pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. It was. It was. It's part one of the things I think made the book real fun is that it didn't take itself very seriously, um, and that the the banter from from Ava is is really what I enjoyed in this book. And and here's why: I was thinking about this while you were talking. I was trying to picture this story told third person, just you know, just telling you what's going on. There's this ghoul and it's this. You know what? If you do it that way, it's not a good story. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If if this was mm-hmm. told, you know, completely third person without the interjections from her and that real look at her personality or trying to see her personality through someone's eyes other than her own, I don't think she becomes as lovable as she does. Enough lovable is the right word, but you know what I mean? As appealing endearing. as a character. Yeah, endearing. Thank you. As endearing as she is throughout this book, if it's told kind of deadpan third person. And I think that that's, that's where uh, Todd made the right decision 
to definitely do this from her point of view. Now, what Todd knows about being a woman, totally beyond me. I have no idea. Because he does, he does point out a lot of things about women and men, and I don't know. It's kind of, <laughs> I don't know how well women would do with it. Like, it was written by a guy. I almost feel like it was written for guys. I don't know how well a woman would do reading this. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe we should have, I didn't realize that the overwhelming, actually all but one of the characters was going to be female. I think if if we knew that ahead of time, we might have tried to reach out to a female reader to get that perspective to mm-hmm. see how authentic it came off. But um, yeah, it was definitely a lot of like girls, you know what I'm talking about, or like anybody know. I, mean, I know all you ladies know this yeah. is how this works. Well, like there's okay, so there's um, Adriana, who's the queen of the zombies, um, appears at least on the outside to people as like just the hottest chick ever, basically, and it's like. Ava is constantly just mad that that Adriana has breasts that don't sag. Yeah. And she's, you know, like thousands of years old or whatever. So, you right. know, I find it hysterical. I don't know where a woman would, would sit with that. <laughs> yeah, so. definitely. All right, so every chapter, here's, here's what's great. Every chapter is the name of a song, probably from the 80s or very, very early 90s. I mean, if that gives you an idea of the feel of um, the song you heard at the top of the show, same old situation from Motley Crue. That's the name of the first chapter in the book. The song you hear at the end is the name of the last chapter. That's because I'm clever like that and put that all together. Rob didn't know there were songs, which I find kind of humorous. I think I put some of them together. Um, but yeah, overall, here's the thing. And like, this is where this is just a total personal thing, but I was kind of lost because I'm not a big fan of 80s music in general definitely not hair music or you know early 90s type hair metal band stuff not my thing so a lot of the 80s nostalgia aspect that was wrapped into the story was kind of lost on me but that's totally me it's just totally a personal thing oh god you know i didn't think about that if someone's not familiar with that you know time period or at least that that particular (laughs) well no i but seriously if you if someone doesn't pick up the references to some of that stuff, like yeah. how does that affect you as a reader in this particular yeah. story? I mean, yeah, I think there's a minor disconnect, but like, I mean, and I guess I'm a good example. I knew what he was talking about, and I knew you just you didn't know, care. <laughs> I just, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I, didn't I, I wasn't like, yeah, I could totally get I'm behind that. And like, well, I guess that's how I feel whenever we read anything and they talk about sports. <laughs> like, I know what it is. Right. But, yeah, it doesn't mean anything. But yeah, no, I, for me, again, it was just something that, and, and being that I, I grew up and, and lit, loved, loved all of the music that he mentioned in there and stuff. Um, that was fantastic. Loved, huh? Mm-hmm. Stephen Graham Jones would love this too. Me yeah, and I feel S- like. Me and SGJ, we're on that same wavelength when it comes to music. Now, I gotta, I, <laughs> I gotta pop open the iPad and have a look at some of these chapter headings. All right, so let's look at some of these chapters. Same old situation. I'm familiar with that song. Rumors in the Air? Yeah, I don't know what that one is, but I'm going to look it up right now. Okay. Then we got Nobody's Fool, which I think I've heard that song. Can you hum a few or sing a few lines in it? (laughs) No. Night Ranger, Rumors in the Air, 1983. (laughs) See, I was never much of a Night Ranger fan. All right. Uh, sunglasses at night. I think everybody has heard. Well, mm-hmm. again, well, that's the misconception. Everybody on this podcast has heard it. Always something there to remind me. Mm-hmm. Familiar with that one? Mm-hmm. Like a virgin. All right, that one might not be. Those last three, not really hair bands, but yeah, definitely from that time frame. Is there something I should know? That's a song. 
Um, yes. Really? I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that all of them are songs. Don't know what you got till it's gone. Mm-hmm. Do you really want to hurt me? I know that's uh, fucking Boy George, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Very good. I'm all over the Boy George <laughs> reference. <laughs> uh, one thing leads to another. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I know that. Really? Yeah, I mean... Wow. Okay. Uh, I just died in your arms tonight. Very familiar with that one. I actually have a story about that song. <laughs> well, wait. Let's take a pause and hear a story, because your stories are always the best. <laughs> so, this actually goes back to the job that Livius and I met at, which I will not mention the company by name, but we worked together there. There was also a, a, a dude that I worked with named Andy. Andy's a little more of an intellectual, and we, we talked a lot about books as well. But this song would come on the, you know, the overhead music thing. I just died in your arms tonight. And we got in this whole conversation about what tense is I just died in your arms tonight. And then we, so we were talking about how it's just a weird thing to say because like you have to be living in order to make that statement. But you're talking about how you died in the past tense. So we came up with the fact that it was considered the undead tense. That's very interesting and and timely, timely undead. I know, right? Perfect, yeah. perfect story for this. Uh, it's almost like I thought of it ahead of time. Almost, Amazing. which I actually didn't. But <laughs> I can Amazing. Like are, are you going through more chapter titles, or yes. are we set on? Okay, <laughs> we're going through all of them. Rosanna, <laughs> Rosanna. I think I've heard of. This is my favorite part of this episode. Kidding. Rainbow in the Dark. Never heard of it. Come on, Ronnie James Dio, man. I heard that guy's name. Rainbow in the Dark, huh? Okay. Unchained. Mm, that one's. I'm not really sure about that one. I'm going to look that one up, too. Look that one up. Lack of Communication. Again, no idea what that is. It's a rat. I think that's the final one, right? <laughs> rat. Rat with two T's. Yeah, I know you're talking about my cousin who's like 11 years older than me. Big mm. rat fan. When I was young. Exactly. Unchained is from Van Halen. Oh. I know Van Halen came up. Or it's from Django Unchained. I don't know. One of the two. <laughs> the D's silent. Google. I understand. Interesting. So I knew, I mean, half of them. Yeah. Right? Maybe yeah. something like that? I didn't realize how few of them were actually hairband songs. But there are songs that are mentioned throughout the course of the story, too. Many, <laughs> many songs. <laughs> Lots of songs. Well, I mean, anytime that she's driving around in that Corvette. Dude, the Corvette is awesome. See, here's the problem. Okay, so if I was a woman and a ghoul, I would be Ava. And that's what I liked about this, because I would have that Corvette, and I would be playing all of that same goddamn music. No, you and I would be totally different girl ghouls. Yes, we would. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be like in a Lexus listening to Bjork. (laughs) Oh, and I'd be in my Corvette listening to Unchained, Django Unchained. Still open on my browser. I should probably close that. <laughs> All right. All right. I think we had a little, we diver- diverged a little bit. I'm sure there will be more about music later because I also have a little story to, to share. But uh, yeah. we can do that after we're done talking about the story. So, yeah, that's uh, it's pretty much all I want to say about the story without getting spoilery. Um, you know, Ava, I, I think I may have painted her a little poorly when I said she's that girl that's trapped in the 80s. You know, I think we all know or have known someone like that or maybe not from the 80s from whatever time frame is best fits that description. But, God damn it, that's what I liked about her. Yeah. 
But, you know, just talking about this now, there is like, all right, so in the synopsis, it says Ava Birch killed herself and woke up a ghoul. So um, it's funny how much you don't think about um, what what pushed her to the point of suicide in this book. I was just thinking about that right now. Um, it almost seems like an afterthought, and it's not that important, but there was actually some parts, and I won't explain exactly what happened, but where Todd actually explored her life um, through from high school and beyond into adulthood and what that looked like for her. And kind of, um, I think if I'm not wrong, that that kind of went down the road of what pushed her to the point where she killed herself. Right. Um, I think there was some indication. Yeah. Yeah. So it almost, it took a, it took a serious turn at some one point, And I think that was, that was pulled off quite nicely because like, even if it wasn't exactly indicated that, you know, what he said led to the actual, suicide it was enough to you know raise the issue that there was you know it wasn't all good times and you know and stuff like that before um she killed herself so i thought that was actually pretty well done i agree (laughs) and then in retrospect i think that being a ghoul she kind of looks at how unsubstantial some of those things are and just decides to you know like i said before kind of do the best with what she has yeah for sure so um because again this could have been a very very different story if we had a real somber ghoul someone who's lamenting you know the things that happened in her life right all right and there's one other thing that um was it was like a device that was used pretty consistently throughout the book and it was kind of interesting in the beginning uh when ava's having conversations with people every now and then it would segue into an unrelated thought just like a total tangent so it would be her and someone having a conversation, but then it would just go into um, an unrelated topic, which would then cut back to the person that she was talking to, like mid sentence, kind of continuing what they were saying as if like she had zoned out and was thinking about something else. And then when she came back to it, we were seeing just the point where they, you know, she came back into the conversation. Um, and yeah, that was used pretty much consistently from the beginning of the book all the way throughout. Um, yeah, it was, and and f- not just consistently, frequently, frequently would be the other the other way I would describe it. Um, so I know you and I talked about this off the air a little bit. Um, yeah, it was it was a little it, it was probably a little overdone. If there was one thing that I could change about this, I think that would that would probably be it. Just trim that back a little bit. I think, um, at least my impression of it was, it was supposed to establish her as being a little flighty, you know, maybe not the sharpest tool in the shed mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning, at least, or at least not on top of her game as far as, like, I mean, because, like, if you look at it, she's not some, you know, perfect superhero, supernatural thing that, you know, is excellent at killing and fighting and knows exactly everything. So establishing the kind of flighty, not paying attention aspect of the character was probably a good way of, of distancing her from that. But yeah, like Livia said, it does happen maybe a little too frequently in the book. Cause like at, at certain point you understand kind of what he's going for, mm-hmm. but it just keeps happening. So yeah, it got to be a little much for me. Yeah. My, my other thought on it was that it was perhaps a little plot device as a takeaway from long exposition during those points which could have been Mm. another way to explain it but still yeah a little a little more than i would have liked that's probably my only 
my only gripe about the about the book. Yeah. But then he does an actually interesting thing to in my mind at least, this is how I interpreted it toward the end. Um, without spoiling too much, um, he finds a way to tie something back in, like an aspect of being a ghoul, um, back in with that type of behavior in mm-hmm. a way that almost, I'm not trying, not the word justify, um, almost validates that as a, as mm-hmm. a, you know, a, a character trait or whatever you want to say. But at the same time, still, we had to read through everything getting up to that <laughs> point where there was too much of it. So right. it was, yeah, it was still a little bit distracting. And the overall problem is this, like, if if by itself it was just that she, you know, she was zoning out and we'd come in back halfway through a conversation, maybe that's not so bad. Maybe find, you know, but like, it was reading the stuff that after you got to it enough times, you knew that those thoughts had nothing to do with the story and wasn't advancing everything. It just pulled me so far out of the story that mm-hmm. I, and I never do this, but I found myself looking for the end of that, you know, um, diversion just to get back to the conversation. See, I liked the diversions. <laughs> so I was a little, little different thinking on that. Um, I just recognize it as having just showed up, in my opinion, too many times. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. But I, I like the diversions because that, to me, is what, what made this book um, as enjoyable as it was. So, But I guess if that's the worst we've got, then uh, then Mr. Yeah. Brown's probably <laughs> doing okay. He's not doing that bad, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so when we start getting nitpicky, <clears throat> that's a good thing. Um, I know that this was a little hard to pull quotes from because we were doing it in PDF, but I did manage a couple of screenshots. So if you don't mind, I am going to go through and give some examples of things I uh, I really liked. Oh, I mind. No, I don't. I know you don't. I don't. All right. So I think that um, there, there's a couple here that uh, I think really kind of the, the first one exemplifies the story because as i was reading this and now this this doesn't come up till 58 percent of the way through the book i was thinking that the only thing i could think of that's similar to this is um, true blood you know you have all the different you know every supernatural creature you've ever thought of is real and you know that type of thing and there's you know a, a psychic is sending a ghoul to fight a zombie i mean that that seems yeah. like stuff that could turn up on on um on true blood so um, Todd, 58% of the way in the book, acknowledges that True Blood exists. And here it is. Not a romantic comedy. Not a romantic comedy. I started to chant in my head. Of course, if I just treat him like one of those coin-operated horses that used to be in front of the store, I could ride him once and call it good. See, that's just the sort of thinking that starts sending things on the road to ruin. Pretty soon some werewolf with amazing abs will show up and then the two will be fighting over me, but I will be so torn because I truly love them both. Blech. You see how silly that all sounds? It was kind of a dig. It was a little bit of a dig. But you know what? Do you know who who saw that werewolf with the amazing abs? Oh, yeah, I know who. You how did. could I ever forget? I did. You did, yeah. So In Los Angeles, rocking a Canadian tuxedo that you had to see to believe. It's, oh, yep. it's so goddamn weird. At any rate... <laughs> Um, I have another one which um, which reminded me of you, but again, kind of expresses Ava in in a way that I think kind of sums it up in you know one paragraph. 
I waited. I mean, surely she had to have something bothering her other than virgins. And why would people be bothered by virgins? Seems to me they don't fuck with anybody. See what I did there? The whole not fucking thing? Jeez, I hate having to explain my jokes to people. They stop being a joke the moment you have to explain them. From that point, they become a story problem. So <laughs> nice the uh, the the see what I did see what I did there part mm-hmm. that we're talking about. Yep. Yeah, but I yeah, no, I that. thought that I thought that was a good um, example of breaking the fourth wall in, in some of the more fun parts and, and how they come out throughout the course of the story. Yeah, uh, and since I'm the only one doing these, I'm going to find one more in the. Yeah, the fourth wall stuff for pretty much worked for me all the time. It was just, there was like once, I think, maybe once, maybe twice, where it almost got like presumptively conversational, where Ava essentially assumed what we were saying back. That didn't work too well for me, but otherwise, I I thought the fourth wall thing worked very well. And like Livia said, it was definitely necessary for like, yeah, setting the tone of the book. All right, so here's the last thing I'm going to read, and this it probably needs a little bit of a setup. Um, at one point, Ava mentions that uh, she's talking about the Queen of the Zombies, and she says the kind of emphasis that somebody puts on it. So this is the kind of char- paragraph that kind of explains that. And seriously, when she says it, you can actually hear the capitalization of each word. Yeah, even the word the. It's crazy. Somebody has a pretty high opinion of herself, beside me, that is. That was good. The whole... That was, uh, I think, one of my favorite use of the the break in the fourth wall, or like being self-referential, was talking about things in capital letters. I thought that was just awesome because that came up, that came back a couple times. It was pretty good. Yep. So, uh, you ready to wrap it up? Yes, I did not do quotes this time, and it was the um, it was the whole PDF thing. I know. So. And the fact that I was reading it kind of late in the week. So had to get through it quick. Reading on a PDF equals me not having quotes. Um, can I just tell you that for for the paper book that I also had to read for, for our next episode, I started taking pictures of the page, but like putting my thumb under the line. That I, <laughs> like, it's just terrible. People, please, Moby, EPUB. Yeah, it's 2013. Just Google them if you don't know what they are. Yeah, so. <laughs> Not you, Todd Brown. We really appreciate the uh, advanced <laughs> copy that you gave us. All right, you want to you wanna <laughs> kick off the wrap-up? I just realized how bad that sounded. <laughs> That's okay. He understands. He knows what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. We're never complaining about the person that we're reviewing. It's always the other assholes. That's right. Unless we reviewed them as well, then it's not them. All right, wrap-ups. Um, I'll kick it off. The synopsis actually is a really great introduction to what the idea of the story is overall, and it really gives you a good idea of the type of types of things you can expect to see happening within the story. Uh, a couple of things that we mentioned that were, I think, important to understanding the tone of the book, um, the idea of it being first person from Ava's perspective, and that there was that whole break in the fourth wall barrier type thing to establish that it was more of a humorous book than it was serious or, or scary. Uh, definitely necessary. The The device he used where she would space out and miss parts of conversation initially was pretty good, but I think it was overused. So um, that kind of knocked a point or two off uh, as far as my my feelings about the book. But overall, let's face it, like it was a it was a fun story, interesting concept using the like types of characters that don't frequently 
or really ever in my experience get used. So I got to give him points for that. And we didn't even mention like the fun scene at Voodoo Donuts, but I thought that that whole scene was probably the highlight of the book. Mm-hmm. And um, because we didn't mention it, I think I'm going to let you just discover it on your own and understand why I thought it was so good. But um, overall, a fun read. A couple things that kind of detracted a little bit from me, but um, I liked it. So I'm going to go with three stars. Um, is Voodoo Donuts a real thing? Yeah. Okay. It was the it's way like, you said it that made me think. I totally didn't think it was a real thing. It's one of the mm-hmm. most famous, like, it's the one of the, I won't, I won't say most famous, like Powell's books is like an obvious landmark, mm-hmm. but like Voodoo Donuts is one of the most commonly referred to, I'd say, things that, like la- like uh, attractions if for, for tourists to Portland. Interesting. I was going to say, for me, it's all Duncan. Um, well, it is. Not a lot of voodoo at the Duncan, but America no. runs on Duncan, so. God damn it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say anything. All right. So, you know, I liked a lot of the same things that, that um, Rob did. I thought that uh, the breaking the fourth wall was great. It, it's, um, I didn't feel it was really intrusive because it's done from or distracting because it's done from page one, you know, so you kind of get the idea that it's going to be that kind of, that kind of story with her talking directly to you, which I think was the only way the story could be written and still be as, as uh, for me to like it as much as I liked it. Again, as I mentioned earlier, if you did this in a real standard, um, you know, third person narrative, um, it it probably wouldn't have held up very well. Um, So it was funny. Uh, It it, it reminded me a lot of my youth, uh, which was terrific. And overall, kind of a fun romp is the the only word I can really think of for for what this is. Uh, he obviously set it up for a whole world for more stories uh, to to come forth, and I will likely read future Ava stories. I'll probably go back and read that that first um, Ava story too. So, overall, I had the same issue that Rob did. It was the um, a little overuse on the on Ava becoming distracted and kind of not paying attention. But other than that, I had no issues with the with this book, and I, I really enjoyed it. Warning, you know, I know that, that Todd is a horror writer. Uh, we'll probably classify this as a horror review. Nothing scary in this book. This is kind of a, almost a fun poke at all of that type of stuff, as indicated by the quote, you know, regarding True Blood and, and other things that come up throughout the course of the story. So I really liked it. Four stars. There you go. So Our first independent, just Todd W. Brown on his own book review. Yep, yep, yep. Because he's like yeah, 20, 20 deep on like dead and Zomblog. Like we can yeah. never catch up. He's a serial serialist. A surreal serial serialist. <laughs> wow. Now we're just getting weird. All right. Can I tell you that all I've done for the last week since reading this book is listen to hair bands. Oh, believe me, I know. Dude, like three hours a night. It's nothing but like... And, and, and you know, so it started off with all the really normal stuff, but then it went really, really obscure. So like, you know, Motley Crue, Rat, Slaughter, um, Trickster, you know, uh, Poison. But then it got to be like Y&T and Lynch Mob, and Kane Roberts. Like you know, you don't know you after Motley Crue, you didn't understand a word I said, did you? Yeah, I yeah. You know. I'm, I'm, yeah. It's it's all voodoo donuts. Let's say. Let's, let's, let's say. Alice Cooper, that right, would be right, like right, a right. legend. Okay, he's so, in Wayne's but, World. Yes, that's what he's famous for—is being in <laughs> Wayne's World. Ugh. 
But no, like Honeymoon that Suite. That knows a lot about Milwaukee. Pretty Boy Floyd. I mean, this is all I've listened to. For that, I should go back and tack on another star for Todd. Now, I don't know if this is a good thing or bad thing, but as I posted on Facebook the other day, I'm this close. I'm holding my fingers pretty close together. Just growing out my hair and buying leather pants. Um, I'm going to advise against that. Because <laughs> I imagine you growing out your hair means you're going directly to a mullet. And I cannot co-podcast with a co-host a podcast with a mullet owner. I'll have to send you a picture of me when I had a mullet. Oh, God. Yeah. I showed you my high school graduation photo, right? Yes, I know. I saw it. Oh, God. Yeah, see, I can't because it'll end up on the website. I can't do it. (laughs) I can't do it. Send me your mullet picture? Yeah. Yeah, Oh, man. Can you imagine? Let's put mine, my high school graduation picture next to your mullet picture and be like, these are your (laughs) co-hosts. Oh, my God. You know what? We'll have to have a throwback review. That's what we'll do. We'll review something from, we'll pick a year. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and do something from then and then do it like it's then. But at any rate. Dude, that's all I've listened to, and I haven't. My ears haven't been happier since like 1991. Wow, I we've been listening to that Macklemore song about the thrift shop a lot. You know what I'm talking about? Oh uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, this is how I don't know how we survive long car rides together. <laughs> we don't listen to music. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's yeah. true. Because if we did, we'd probably kill one another. Yeah, I'd be like, let's listen to that thrift shop song. You're like, no, I want to listen to fucking queens or something dude but that's it that's, that's what's <laughs> happened is like this has become like the soundtrack for my week i hear this stuff in my head even when i'm not listening to it oh man this is this is also my plug for google's new google all access music service because that's where i've been listening to the vast majority of it wow you are just like brand whoring lately yeah no dude it's really cool i realized that um spotify has been doing this for a while i never bothered with spotify but i did try google's um um, free month trial and i know it's coming out on ios here in the next couple weeks but yeah it's basically you just search for just about anything and they have some like really crazy obscure stuff and it comes over like better than cd quality so are you listening to that on your android smartphone from t-mobile i am listening to that on my t-mobile <laughs> samsung galaxy smartphone galaxy wow. s2 but that's going to be upgraded here in probably the next couple weeks to an s4 the goddamn chill yeah you're a sellout <laughs> I'm telling you, man, ever since I saw it on Shark Tank, like, you know, waiting for T-Mobile to send me a check. All right. So Liv, Liv loves hairbands. Loves, loves, loves. Loves the hairbands. What about, like, Winger? Dude, love Winger. Yes. Is All that right. a hairband? <laughs> I listened to a bunch of Weezer the other day. Now, see, now here's the thing. So I don't want people to think that I'm stuck in there. I haven't listened to this music in a long, long time. Every few years, I get kind of nostalgic and listen to it a little bit. I mean, I always loved Alice Cooper. I still listen to him regularly. But see, I love Weezer. And Hall & Oates. And Hall & Oates. I had a whole conversation about, oh, what's the name of the song? I don't even know the song. There is a Hall & Oates song that plays at my unnamed place of employment. Um, and it's like a female... Uh, musician who I don't know who it is doing a cover of a Hollow Notes song and it's somehow softer. Did she do Maneater? Is that it? I don't know. It's the that No Can Do song, I think, right? Oh, Isn't that I, can't, I can't go for that. No, no, sure. No, no can do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's that one. But I'm like, how on earth did A, someone like actually accomplish being softer than Hollow Notes and B, like what made them think I like this song, but it's a little heavy. (laughs) 
we got to tone this back a little. We got to we dial this back a little bit uh, on the cover. I love don't know. Me some hollow notes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And Rick Springfield. Yes. Yeah. I love lots of stuff. I am a music lover. <laughs> You're something. Last night. Last night I did sidestep the hair bands for about half an hour and listened to Kenny Rogers' greatest hits, and that was totally awesome. Teared really? up during two songs. The Gambler was one of them. I'm assuming. No, Coward of the County, and she believes in me. I don't even know you. <laughs> I listened to a lot of Kenny Rogers when I was like a little little kid, like eight, nine, ten years old. My parents had an, my parents had an eight track player, and there were only like two or three of the eight tracks I could actually listen to that, like you know, I found palatable. And Kenny Rogers was one of them. The last song I listened to was "Such Great Heights" by the Postal Service. It's a good song. Noted. It's our next podcast. Yep, where we noted. Nice. Got it. Oh, man. Mm. <sighs> we should talk about something else. Noted. That's where we talk about our, our favorite. I know. Um, I know. I got it. That's awesome. No, no, no. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I, I, I want to talk about uh, Evernote this week because it's a great organizational <laughs> tool. Noted. All right. Yeah. Um, what else we got? All right. So now it's going to take a turn for this. So I've been so happy now the last few minutes. You know, um, it's going to take a turn to the ugly now. I don't know how else to say this. Some motherfuckers are fucking with podcasting. You know, the funny thing is, that's exactly what, um, that's exactly what it says in the notes. <laughs> Dude, seriously, I couldn't even think of another way to say it. Like, this just angers me. Here I was. I was so happy. I was happy that you knew Winger was a hair band. I was, I was singing Madeleine in the back of my head while you were, while you were talking about Winger. And, and, and now it comes to this. <laughs> So there is um, from the Electronic Frontier Foundation, also known as F. Get it? F E F F. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They posted this whole thing about um, there are patent trolls. So there's one in particular called Personal Audio LLC. Fuck you, Personal Audio LLC, who is going around. They've now sued three podcasters and they've sent demand letters to a number of others um, demanding money for violating alleged patents they have, apparently, on podcasting. Do you think our days are numbered? No, because you know what? I will knife the two or three people that work for this company. Dead people can't sue nobody. Is that... Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I mean, we could just murder them. You know how I feel about it. Anytime it gets competitive. This episode (laughs) is going to be some damning evidence. (laughs) Yeah, you're right, it is. But here it is. <laughs> the follow-up article when they're like, these guys were just knifed. <laughs> oh, shit. Livia said, I'm going to knife them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically, you know, patent trolls um, have become p- pretty big in, in technology, specifically with phones and, and computers and stuff. And <sighs> I'm going to avoid talking about the big, big patent fights between legitimate companies. Because, you know, even though that's all kind of a BS game, um, this gets to be where there are people that that you know try to patent something after it already exists, and then going back and, and suing people for using it. Basically, is what happens. Yeah. So I don't know how many um, podcasts have paid them off or whatever. They can sue us all they want because you know you can really only sue somebody when they benefit from it financially. Yeah, that's true. Would you like to share our total um, net worth for the podcast for anybody that's listening? Um, do negative numbers count? No, they don't count. All right, then we're yeah. at zero. We're at zero, so you can take 30% of zero and all future income of zero and still come up with the same amount. But 
it's a it's a shitty thing they're doing to something that um, I hold very uh, very close to my heart. This particular podcast. Heart was that a hairband? <laughs> see what I did there? Uh, oh yeah, I see what you did there. <laughs> anyway, sorry, it just really really pissed me off. Yeah, um, the Electronic Frontier Foundation is accepting um, donations uh, to help defend. Um, I don't even know if defend is the right word. Basically, to kind of just get rid of these people to show that they have no. Well, no. they're trying to undermine the patents that the trolls are using um, by finding previously existing, um, like, uh, like basically showing that people had ideas that predated the the um, the patents that the trolls are using, so that they can invalidate the patents, which is cool. So, like, basically, like they're saying, hey, if you're in the know and you've known of shit that happened before this. Let us know so that we can, you know, bone these guys. Um, can I just tell you where, where they are right now? Um, they're at $65,643 of their goal of thirty grand. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I won't go too much into this, but I went to a media conference in Minneapolis in, I think, 2008. And um, a bunch of people from EFF were there. And they're just like really incredible people. Um, a lot of times when there's, uh, uh, issues around like the big thing, one of the big things that they do is when the RIAA and those types of people sue, uh, people who have torrented, um, for piracy and they're like, are charging outrageous and they're basically like extorting them, you know, mm-hmm. for, for money because they, you know, they have so much more money to go to court than the people that they're suing. Um, they're extorting them for small payouts. Uh, the EFF helps, uh, coordinate legal, uh, support and, and funding and stuff like that for the people who are being sued. And they do stuff like that. They're all around like digital freedoms and stuff. Basically. Can I go into one sort of unrelated thing? Oh, no, related. Absolutely. I, uh, (laughs) you mean besides hair bands? (laughs) Yes. Hairbands, um, God, I love hairbands. It's uh, today. I read an article. I don't remember who shared it on Facebook, but the um, the Pirate Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, there's somebody. A porn company has been going around demanding money from people that have downloaded some of the the pornography that they own through the Pirate Bay. Mm. Um, the Pirate Bay people who are in very very close with Anonymous, in case people didn't know that already, um, went and did some digging. And they found that the company that's um, demanding money from people and threatening to sue them is the same are the same people who uploaded the videos. So they're entrapping people, yes. more or less. As a matter of fact, the one guy and I wasn't really clear from the article I read. And I apologize; I don't have it up because I didn't think it would come up on the on the show. But uh, <laughs> from the guy's home computer. Now he's either the guy who's threatening to sue, or he's like the actual owner of the company from his home computer was uploading these and then when people download them they're getting threatening uh threatening action letters wow that guy along with the uh the podcast troll or the podcast patent trolls uh that guy needs a knifing too yeah and talk about like taking what some people consider a sleazy business to like a legitimately sleazy level you know like (laughs) nice they figured out a way to, to out sleaze porn. <laughs> out sleaze, yeah. Porn. That's what happens. You got a, you got porn and you got a lawyer and you mix them together and yeah, that's that's not that's not a pretty a pretty sight. 
All right, I think we're done with all this sadness. Um, I think we need something good to cheer us up, and it's uh, it's a good thing that Skip Papersley has been on top of his stuff because here he goes with another edition of Booked News. This is Booked News. I'm Skip Papersley. Now for the news. TV and film director and producer J.J. Abrams is currently working on a book, and surprise twist, it's going to be weird. Abrams is working with writer Doug Doris to create a work called S, which will contain 20 to 22 pieces of, quote, ephemera in the, quote, real world. As of this time, one piece of evidence has shown up in the form of a postcard from Brazil. This reporter is already on the hunt for the remaining 19 to 21 pieces and has heard a tip that they might be in the new Star Trek, Star Wars, and Lost Special Edition DVDs. Amazon's new Kindle World is already heating up Kindles with steamy scenes of fanfiction from their favorite worlds. The book news staff has taken upon themselves to sample some of these scintillating selections. This week is a piece of fanfiction from the quiddity of Will Self called Ectophilia Ghost Boners by B. James Cameron. Here is a selection. Damn girl, I know you're dead, but you're giving me mad ghost boners, said Charlie, as he stared at the urn of Veruca. Something crept over him. The knowledge that she would never again lick a snozberry filled him with ectoplasmic ecstasy. He would be the one to have the bean feast. He was going to give it to her now. He was going to cash in his golden ticket. Now the bestsellers in fiction recap. David Baldacci's book The Hit takes a hit and is down to number five. The Twelfth of Never by James Patterson is the fourth of this week. Silk Stockings on USA? No. Silk and Prey by John Sanford is at number three. Charlene Harris's Dead Ever After is dead in the water at number two. Finally, Burning Up the Charts is Inferno by Dan Brown at number one. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off. We may have to get rid of Skip, because you know what I realize is that he is slowly becoming the best part of this goddamn show. I don't remember the last time I laughed so hard at something I heard. He's rapidly becoming the best thing about this show. Yeah, slowly. No All right, so that was the last book news you'll ever be hearing if I have any say in it. So, <laughs> God damn it, that was hilarious. Mad ghost boners. It's kind of timely because of the thing we just read. I know, but dude, just the delivery on that. He just went into, I'm going to read you a piece, and then just <laughs> boof, right there. Yep. Um, I would like to say that um, I do think that I'm going to commit us to that. Okay, so for people who don't know, half the time stuff we hear from him is made up, um, but that leaves the other half of the time that's not. J.J. Abrams <laughs> is indeed working on a book that is using a very unusual storytelling as a format. It's supposed to be out right around Halloween, so I think it might be our uh, our Halloween uh, booked extravaganza nice. spectacular. Maybe we could uh, maybe we could drag a Stephen Graham Jones in or something to to read that with us. Sweet. Hey, I was just thinking about something with Skip Papersley in mind. Mm-hmm. When do you think he's got the kind of voice you just like to have him read stories to you? Um, not the story he was reading. No, but I'm just talking about in general. Yes, I think that he just, could probably do. Yes, he does have just a Just a thought. Yeah. Well, most people don't know what he sounds like when he's not Skip. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Calm down, Livius. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely do a J.J. Abrams book. We're going all over the map. We're going to do a fringe tie-in book by Krista Faust. We're going to do J.J. Abrams writing a book. It's all over the map. Do you think you can get some lens flare in the book? Oh, I'm sure there will be lens flare in the book. 
but yeah, indeed, and I'm not gonna whatever, but I did see there is a postcard that's that ties into the book that you can read online. There's pictures of it everywhere. Just Google J.J. Abrams and book. Maybe J.J. Abrams one day will be booked. Maybe he'll come on to booked. That's, uh, sure. That's Not like, come on to us, like, hey. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, could I buy you fellas a drink? <laughs> I don't know, J.J. Abrams, you're acting a little weird. All right, enough of future books. Let's talk about books in the present. Um, by the time you'll be hearing this, it'll probably be a day or two away from This Is Horror's um, newest chapbook release. Um, you may remember that we reviewed The Fox here on this very podcast just a few short months ago. Um, this new one, Roadkill by Joseph DeLacy. Um, I'm not going to talk about it a lot now because I think we're going to talk about it a little more on a future episode, but I uh, just want people to know that that is available um, now. They do do them in kind of a limited edition. I think you get some signed copies, but uh, definitely want to head over to thisishorror.co.uk and, uh, and check that out. Um, yeah, I don't want to be too spoilery. I've read it. It's pretty goddamn good. All right. Yeah, definitely be sure to check that out and just check out. Remember, This Is Horror has tons of horror stuff on their website, and they do their own horror-themed podcast, which actually, um, I listened to their episode about the movie American Mary. makes me really, really want to watch that movie. Have you heard of it? I saw I have not listened to the review of it. I had not heard about the movie, but I saw that it was part of their podcast. But my podcast listening schedule has been cut down almost nothing because of a stupid job. Oh, I thought you were going to say because of all the stupid hair bands. Oh. <laughs> Three hours a night of listening to hair bands. <laughs> no, 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 Cece, that's not time I could be listening to podcasts because that's allocated to hair bands. My bad. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but um, they also, also um, interviewed Joe Hill, who totally did not want to be on this podcast. He blew us off. Yeah. Maybe he was intimidated. He's like, wow, they did get in a, a podcast of the year. I want to get in. I want to dip my toes a little bit before I get up to a podcast of the year. Can I tell you? I'm not going to look up the email, but I totally played on that. Like, we won awards from the same place you did in the email. It was terrible. Oh. Terrible. I will say this, though. In, in, in <laughs> retrospect, I did send it to, like, his website. So I don't know if there's, like, a webmaster oh, that, yeah. that handles that or if he actually saw it or not. Maybe it was the same guy that runs Rob Roberts' website. <laughs> oh, yeah. No kidding website guy yeah website i don't remember what his name is i'm not gonna Patrick look it up again i think but <laughs> damn it <laughs> oh under the bus still just stay under that bus patrick o'neill yeah well at least this time it was you that threw him under the bus any rate they interviewed joe hill you should probably go check that out it's high on my list of priorities um and uh just remember when you're listening to him that he did totally not not get back to us right wait he did not not get back to us that makes it sound like he did get back to us he did not and then another Mm. emphasis on not oh you were emphasizing that yeah i was emphasizing poorly can i can i mention something that i'm really excited about i think so that everybody else is just gonna have to wallow in in waiting for forever until august of 2013 i'm holding in my hands you can hear it's a paper book right uh, I think I know where you're going with this. You know what I'm talking about? I do. Our good friend, pal, best friend of, of the podcast, uh, S.G. Brown, was nice enough to share one of his um, uncorrected advanced proofs of his next book, Big Egos, with us. So um, it probably is going to sit on the shelf for a little while because it's not coming out um, until August, but we got one. 
And I'm very excited about that because everything I've read by S.G. Brown has been really, really awesome. See, here's where S.G. Brown dropped the ball. Because you know we both would have went out and spent 15 bucks or whatever on it. And now? <laughs> now not so much. Yeah, but you know what? He knows we probably still will. Yeah. I'm pretty so. sure he does, yeah. So anyway, yes, very, very cool. Um, and would you like to tell people how it was signed? Oh, yeah. Let me read this little signature. It was... Um, too booked. This is your ego. This is your ego on drugs. Scott Brown. Too booked. Very That's right. Cool. He signed it to us. And he gave us a, a, a bookmark for that shooting monkeys in a barrel uh, short story collection. Well, we're going to have to use that to mark our spot in the paper book. Very good stuff. Very excited. Yeah. So I am very excited. And I'm excited about next week's book. And here's why I'm excited about next week's book. I've already read it. Ooh, look at you. Did you work? Okay, let me ask you a question. Did you work 35 hours between Friday through Sunday? No, I was busy reading Shining Girls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ain't, ain't nobody got time for that. Lauren Bukes, The Shining Girls. Um, little sci fi. You know, it's not really sci fi. It's only sci fi because there's time travel involved. Not Doctor Who time travel, just regular old time travel. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited to talk about that book. Recommended by who? Chuck Wendig when he was on this show. That's right. And uh, who did we recently see him in a picture with? Aaron Morgenstern. Dude, that almost makes it like she was on our show. Yeah, totally. Almost like George R.R. R. Martin was almost on our show. Yeah. Rob mentioned to me earlier that we are like now one degree away from like huge blockbuster authors. That's right. So, John Horner Jacobs, I know you're listening. You're going to have to hook us up with Mr. Martin for an interview. It always so, sounds so funny, just R.R. I know. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'll do a hot tub interview with George R. R. Martin. That's how much I don't care. That's um, <laughs> that's a little weird. But, I don't know what uh, that means. Yeah, you can you can do that. Um, have you seen pictures of him? Uh, I have. I bet he's got a big hairy Santa Claus chest. <laughs> this podcast has gone weirder than than weird podcasts should be allowed to go. Everybody's gonna get it though. That's the thing. <sighs> Until next time, I'm Livius Ned. <sighs> And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.